I'm here with Mark Halford. I'm sure the story we're going to hear is going to be a crazy story. Mark, I just want to let you know what I'm trying to do. We all have a job. As a kid who came here with nothing, I always inspired by stories. And all my life, I've always been studying the winners, the, the, the ones who have done stuff and have changed the world. The last few years, I've realized, hold on, hold on. What about the people who seem to be just ordinary people? People who never maybe want to have their name in the Wikipedia, but who seem to not only have changed the entire planet, but have really changed the environment around them. These days, I'm really interested in studying the ordinary people achieving extraordinary things. The reason I want to do this, it's not just for me. I'm sure I'm going to learn a great deal from you, but there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be the younger generation. And for me, it's always very interesting to see what we pass down to them. The virtues we learned along the way, the, the, the new tricks that maybe we can share with them, the old tricks that still apply today, even though we live in a world that is digital, you know? Why don't we just start with you first and maybe if you can relate to us how you started, I mean, at school, what, what happened and what changed? I think I might start even a little, a little bit earlier, okay. Thomas. Um, we're immigrants to this country. Uh, we're, we're from the UK. We came across with my mum and dad and brother and sister in 1965. Right. Landed on Australia Day as uh, 10-pound pommies, as some people would recognise. And we lived in the detention centre in Villawood for 18 months. Um, so you came on the same boat as the, the Bee Gees brothers, but yeah, didn't uh, stay exactly. in the same place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did. Um, and it, it wasn't a one-week journey. It took three three weeks to get here through the Suez Canal. Mum and Dad landed not knowing one person in the country and had 300 pounds of a name and three hungry kids. And uh, how old were you? I was two years of age. Wow. Um, my father, this, this was uh, at the bottom of at Villawood there, Woodville Road. My father's first job was at Ride. He, he would walk... 22 kilometres to get to work. Right. So I think... Walk 22 kilometres? Walk, no car, no public no, transport. No, no bicycle? No, nope, he walked. People are going to say, you can't walk 22 k's. No, you can't. But in those days, that's what had to be done to feed the hungry mouths. And I think part of my success and some of the things that have stayed with me my working life is remembering the values that mum and dad instilled in me and my brother and my sister many, many years ago. Wow. Um, We've been a family that would have never put their hands out to, uh, to the government to, to claim welfare benefits at any stage. It's about, you know, you, you work and you and you give back as, at the same time. And I think some of those values that my parents instilled in me is part of the reason of my and my family's success. OK, let, let's, let's have a look at this a little bit closely. What were the things that they did to get you to have that? Because I, I know and I can tell you of a number of young kids whose parents have worked very hard but they're not working hard, right? So if you were to teach now the next generation, what did you see or what did your parents do for you to take that on board? Yeah, the, the groundings and the basics or the ethics that my parents taught me, they were, they were the simple things. We went to church, we went to school, we played uh, team sports, right. we socialised, we saved for family holidays and it was a special event when we did it. We're, we're talking a lifetime ago, we're talking the 60s, which Australia was a very different place in those days. Right. But it's, you know, I have adult children today and, and I still remember the conversations from when I was a kid with mum and dad about the difference between right and wrong. And I think it's because mum and dad brought us up with, with, with a lot of rules. They were strict parents, but they were loving parents and they gave us the most unbelievable foundation. And that's what I build my role model on is from my mum and dad. Okay. It's, from, it's just standards. So, so around the dinner table, you guys would be chatting about what's right and wrong? Uh, mum worked, dad worked, uh, yes. we went to school. 
we had some other relatives. My grandfather lived with us. My uncle lived with us for a while. So it was a it was a family unit, and we would wake up to breakfast on the table and go to school with a, with a packed lunch and come home and we'd eat around the table. It was a very family environment. We lived in a three-bedroom brick house in Borkham Hills. It was nothing fancy. Yes. Um, it was a new area. But my mum and dad had a mortgage. I think their first house cost $6,000. But back then, you know, the dad was probably earning $40 a week and it was like today. They, they had to work to feed the kids and pay the mortgage. What was he doing that he had to walk? Uh, dad worked cows. for a company that made cigarettes. I can't remember the name. Dad will probably shoot me. I should know the name, but um, he worked for a company and he was doing like accountancy sort of work. Oh, I see, um, I see. And then he, at the same time, Dad took on a petrol station, so had two jobs doing the books for a petrol station and actually pumping gas. It was very common in those days for people to have two jobs. I remember my mother had a job folding handkerchiefs. So she would sit up while we were asleep till one or two in the morning folding handkerchiefs and getting paid. Did it, you help? I can remember putting the boxes together and oh, putting the uh, folded handkerchiefs into the plastic How old were couches. you then? I, w- I was a kid. I was five and six. And but, but, you know, don't you think that those little things, those little that's activities... My message, that's my message, is, is the, the strong values from my parents. And the, some things that's a subliminal learning is they just do things and you learn from their behaviours. Yep. So they, they wouldn't sit down and say, this is what you must do, et cetera, et cetera. But you learned it from watching their behaviours. Wow. <laughs> so I think this is exciting. All right, so here you are. So you go to school. Yep. Where did you go to school? We went to, I went to Jasper Road, a public school. It was, wasn't a fancy school. Yep. Uh, by, no, by no means was I a scholar at any point through junior school or through high school. Uh, I was one of those guys who were, was average. By no means I was up there with the marks, yep. uh, but enough to get me through. Yes. And I was lucky enough uh, through my mother one day taking me down to the local McDonald's uh, after a soccer match as a reward, and this is the old McDonald's on uh, Windsor Road at Northmead, which is no longer there. It burnt down, but it's been replaced with another store. Right. Um, I was 14. This is you're talking 1978, and um, we sat there having uh, lunch with my mother and my auntie Julie, and uh, Mum said, "I think, boy, it's about time you get a job." So I went up to the front counter and applied for a job, and had an interview there and there, and got the job. The interesting fact is that we lived in Castle Hill and the McDonald's store was in Northmead, so it was like a 10-kilometre pushbike ride for me to go to work, which was really good because it was downhill on the way to work, but it was uphill <laughs> on the way home at night time. But it was acceptable then that a 14-year-old could get on a pushbike and ride 10 or 12 k's to go to a part-time job. So we're talking 1978. I still remember my first pay packet for a three-hour shift was $7.48, um, and I-, I thought I'd won lotto. The fact that I had my own money, had to open up my own bank account, nothing digital. Remember the old passbooks that used right. to, the teller used to write the numbers in? I used to have one of them. And, and that's what started teaching me about the importance of saving was that first job. Right. Um, you know, I, I had a great time at the McDonald's um, at Northmead. I, I was given responsibility. I, I met new friends. I, I, I learned some new skills. Right. So it, it's one of the things that helped rounded me. You know, you, you learn from your parents. You learn from your school. You learn from your family, friends. You learn from TV. This gave me another avenue to learn from. Okay, I, I'm going to go back there, right? But you were a soccer player. Mm-hmm. What about soccer? Didn't you like uh, every 14 year old? You know, didn't you think? Hold on. Maybe I love soccer a bit more. I mean, that's more fun than rather than just cooking fries and turning yeah. around burgers. You know, yeah. I mean, what's happening to your sports? Yeah, I, I was a typical Aussie kid. I played baseball. I played cricket. Right. I played tennis. I played squash. You name it. We all experiment over your, your youth, and 
generally land on a sport that you enjoy. I played soccer for 10 years, a bit longer. Yeah, well, British um, background, you have to. Mate. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> my father was the coach. He was, uh, <laughs> so there, there was probably no choice. But I, I loved it and uh, still got mates today that I played soccer with, you know, from five years of age through to wow. probably 16 when I finished with Borkham Hills. Um, but once you start earning a bit of money and making new friends, you know, the sport became a B priority and... Weekends were at Macca's when I was, you know, 15, 14, 15, 16. Um, I, I would work and just earn the money. Okay. I would say then the first click for you was about the savings, a concept that now you, you could feel yourself being a free man. You've got your own accounts, right? You, you've got your own little amount of money, whether it's 748 or not. It's yeah. your own wealth, yeah. right? What did McDonald's teach you in the first few years? McDonald's is a, a great organisation. I've been there for over 40 years now. Yes, uh, you're celebrating 40 th- this yeah, year, isn't 42, it? 43, oh, whatever okay. it is. Yeah, a long time. McDonald's teaches you lots of simple things. Uh, it's, a, it's a strict organisation with policies and procedures, uh, a company with very high values, uh, strong ethics. And those sorts of simple messages get pushed through to you as a crew member back in those days. We still do it today, the difference between right and wrong, how you speak to customers, how you interact with other employees. They teach you all the basics that uh, groom you to to go to any industry in the world. Your point about learning to save, uh, I remember what I saved for. Uh, What was very important for me back then was getting the first computer. And Apple had just released the first Mac. And at the same time, Dick Smith, when he had the North Parramatta, Dick Smith had the uh, DSC-90, I think it was called. It was the first computer that you could buy. I think it had... Uh, 12k of memory which was just unbelievable which today is just ridiculously small and I remember getting that computer for people that know me know that I enjoy technology and playing with things and I think that grounding of uh, working with computers and getting into amateur radio and that technology thing uh, when I was a young fella you know gave me some skills along life journeys. Okay so you got your first computer? Mm -hmm. And then why? I mean, well, there was no manuals back then. It was all... Okay. Remember, we used to put them on tapes, all the information. There was no discs around. You, uh, would, have, you, you would have been uh, one of the first dudes. I mean, yeah, in I was. In 1918, I mean, the no, this, Commodore this is, 64 was This is, about, this is 1979. Really? Yeah. Um, 1979, the, the Commodore 64 was not even out? No, it was just prior to that. Yeah, that was, that was a big thing. When the so you were eyeing on uh, competing against the Steve Jobs and the uh, Bill Gates back in those days? Yeah, I was, but I, I was a user. Um, but programming back then was a very simple thing. You know. I see. So what was the intention? Why the computer? I enjoyed it. I, um, I, st- I got into amateur radio uh, whilst I was at McDonald's um, and uh, you know, got my Morse licence. I'm a Morse, Morse code operator and right. got my amateur radio licence and that sort of stuff and had a couple of friends in the industry. And that electronic sort of thing when I was a kid, because it was new back then. I suppose it's much like today with kids with PlayStations and the, the internet. That sort of stuff wasn't around when I was a kid, but that the technology around amateur radio and, and the emerging computer industry was, was new and it just grabbed my interest. Okay. So going back to now uh, McDonald's, are you saying in the 42 or 43 years you've been around them that the way that they groomed you in their culture in that first year when you were 14 is actually has not evolved? hasn't changed. So the technology piece and yep. how we onboard people and how you actually learn. We used to learn from, it was a system called the LaBelle system, which is, remember the eight-track uh, music, audio systems cars used to have before cassettes, the real big systems? Well, that's no, what the cars used one. to have. The older people will know an eight-track system. Well, we used to have technology like that that would just show a picture and put sound to it. Right. 
it's obviously way gone way past that these days. But the onboarding system, the buddying system, working with a, a more experienced crew person, a lot hasn't changed in 40 years. You know, a Big Mac is a Big Mac and how we teach people to make it and to work in the McDonald's environment is, is very similar. There's, you know, we have a manual called the Operations and Training Manual yes. and, and that's the root of how our business operates. It was written by a guy called Fred Turner who recently passed away. He was an amazing man. Now, whilst that manual that was written in 1955 isn't appropriate for today, a lot of the basics in that manual are, re- are in the Operations and Training Manuals that we use today, you know, wow. 50 years down the line. You still have exam on it? Yeah. Wow, none. Are you serious? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we um, in terms of as a licensee, yes, uh, we need to become reaccredited um, as a not only from a McDonald's point of view to make sure we're current with the courses, but we have responsibilities from a workplace safety point of view. You know, making sure that we've got our fire fire checks. In fact, I did my fire checks two weeks ago. We've got to make sure we've got our first aid certificates up to place. We've got, you know, there's a number of other things oh. that we need to make sure we're in place. As any business owner has those responsibilities. The first few years got you to accomplish a few personal goals, and then what happened? I mean, so I, uh, you know, luck, you quit l- luck is a good thing. Uh, I uh, was doing my HSC, and another McDonald's got built in my backyard. It was at right. Castle Hill. This was only three k's up the road. And yes, it means I didn't have to ride 10, 10 k's <laughs> to go to work. So I thought I was on fire. So I remember going up to this new store. It was uh, a, a franchisee by the name of Wayne Andrews, a Kiwi, who was just one of the most amazing men I've ever met. And I walked into the store and I introduced myself to the owner-operator, Wayne, and he, I said, oh, look, it's, I want to transfer. And he said, when can you start? And I said, when, when do you want me? He said, now. So he said, come on the floor. So he, he gave me a uniform. I went in. The store was very busy. A lot of inexperienced crew and managers with a new restaurant. And I'd had three years McDonald's experience. So I've, I clearly shone and obviously got the place ship sharp for him and things were going well. And within two weeks, he said to me, I want to put you into a manager's uniform. So I'm still at school. I'm 17. Yep. Just learning, just you know, picked up my driver's licence. I stayed with Wayne for 10 years you know, and went on a, a journey with McDonald's and Wayne at the Castle Hill restaurant, which a number of people in this area of Sydney would probably remember me at Castle Hill because I was there for such a long time. 10 years. And uh, it was uh, a great time and uh, I was lucky enough... Uh, so that was 81 to 91, right? Correct. Yep. And in the uh, 80s, McDonald's put a representative forward that is like the bridge between the franchise and the actual corporation. They called a franchise consultant. And back then I had this guy called Charlie Bell who was my health service consultant and I struck up quite a healthy relationship with Charlie Interestingly, Charlie ended up becoming the world CEO for McDonald's Corporation. He's no longer with us. Through that relationship of working with Charlie, Charlie became the MD for McDonald's Australia and actually in 1988 asked me to leave the Castle Hill store and come work for McDonald's themselves, which had just moved to a new building in Thornlea. And I came across and uh, went to the US for a while and learnt some new skills and was teaching managers about uh, new managers on the basics of the business, you know, rostering, preventive maintenance, and all those sort of skills that I'd picked up in the stores for the 10 years previous. And then I jumped onto the corporate ladder for yeah, 10... We're going too fast. We're going yeah, too okay. fast, Mark. So hold on. You, the first three years, you in Northmead... Yeah, as a crew person. What did you learn? I mean, did, did they shape you differently <coughs> or did you see a change between what mum and dad were teaching you and what that world now was asking and requiring? I mean, 
What about a Saturday? What if a Saturday you you went play soccer and then you you got on the piss and uh, yeah, and couldn't wake up? I mean, wow, yeah, what no, happened? Yeah, I was, I was a kid. I was fourteen, fifteen. Right. I, was, I was totally reliant on mum and dad. You know, I would often ride my bike, but mum would drop me down. Sport became, as I mentioned, a, a B priority for me because yep. I, I was enjoying the work, and earning money changes your views on life. It allows you to start buying things, saving, giving yes. presents at yep. Christmas or birthdays. It gives you a chance to stand on your own feet, and uh, and that's what I really enjoyed. It's probably being a little bit self-sufficient. Uh, Since I was fourteen, I think I've been self-sufficient. Um, my, my parents obviously gave me a fantastic upbringing and provided anything I needed, but I was determined to provide for myself. And I think okay. if you ask mum and dad, I've always have. Yes, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to understand because I'm not so disciplined. Yeah. So um, th- I was just thinking. You're now 17, 18, you're teenagers, you know, you're King Kong. Yeah. You're, you've got money. I mean, this is when hormones usually take over. Maybe that's when you think, hold on, I can do better than And there's this. no question you make a lot of friends through, wh- right. whether it's McDonald's or wherever you work at that sort of age, you, you, make a lo- you meet a lot of new friends from different schools and different yep. walks of life. Obviously, girls start, you know, yeah. you start getting interest in girls at that age. You know, I've got so many friends back from the 70s and 80s in my McDonald's time. In fact, mo- today most of my close friends are, are Macca's people. But that's pretty similar, I think, in any industry that you've worked in a long time because you, you build those relationships yep. up with people. Yes. And so you started uh, at a new job. The question I wanted to ask you for, a because I know, and, and, and I like to talk at some stage about the real culture of McDonald's, but uh, McDonald's now is saying, actually not McDonald's, but that owner says, come and work for me today. But what about the, that hole that he's left or he's created in the business in North Mead? How, how do we explain that? And how do franchises then still stay friend when it feels like, you know, you've been poaching my people? Yeah, so uh, we have a very clear policy on poaching. Right. We're system players. So uh, whilst you're a franchisee and you've got one, five, 15 outlets, whatever the number is, you're still part of a brand. And the average consumer doesn't, they, they understand we're franchising, but they still see us at McDonald's. So we need to wear a system hat when you're a franchisee. You, you need to ensure that the brand's protected at all times and that you sometimes make sacrifices for the brand. And for example, in that case where Al Gay, my first owner operator, allowed me to go to the Castle Hill store, he did it with, with blessings. Wow. Uh, because he knew that the, the guy up the road, the new operator, needed help and support. So that's very common in our business um, oh, wow. that we help each other. We, I'll give you an example. We uh, unfortunately had a tragic event in our business last week where we lost a, a McDonald's owner operator, uh, unexpectedly uh, a fantastic man who'd been in the business a long time. So the, all the other operators and, and the corporation have gathered around that entire family and, and are running the McDonald's restaurants that he and his wife owned until we get through this grieving process and the whole uh, dust settles so we we are really a family we, and we internally we call it the mc family yeah. uh, but it's very true okay yeah. now in the 10 years then now you've been working at um, castle hill you ever thought of quitting yeah i did i looked outside of at different jobs um macarthur press i knew a guy that worked at macarthur press and i went down there and applied for a job uh, there was a couple of things. I you always sort of second ch- uh, check yourself to say, well, is it greener on the other side of the fence? What yes. are the opportunities? Yeah. You know, th- there's people uh, would probably think McDonald's is a, lo- a low laying job. You know, you, a lot of people don't think you need much education, etc. For that type of work, uh, interestingly, it's quite the opposite. 
uh, there's a high degree of ignorance about the brand and what a lot of the QSRs or quick service restaurants uh, do. Uh, it's a big business and that's what people don't realise is, is the enormity of our business, particularly in Australia where we've been very successful, you know, 110,000 employees, $6.5 billion worth of sales per annum. It's it's not a small business by no. any means. and. That, that comes down to, you know, in Australia these days, the average operator has five restaurants. So you, you're talking between one to 2,000 employees in each operator patch. Uh, the, the numbers are huge. No, it feels to me like McDonald's, for the younger people, it's actually a second school of values for them. Yeah. I mean, if they, they, they actually ground you in some values that you can use for the rest of your life. Yeah, when, for a period of time when I was with the corporation, I was a training manager in the late 90s with McDonald's. And it was amazing how many Australian corporations would call McDonald's to say, how do we get access to your McDonald's employees uh, before the rest of the world gets access to them? What I often say to business owners, if you have a young person comes along and applies for a position with you, if they've been at McDonald's for two, two or more years, you don't need to ask any more questions because if they've survived the McDonald's regime, which is a perfectly uh, positive regime, but it's also very strict on policies and procedures, They've proven themselves that they're capable of doing anything. You know, I've employed thousands and thousands of youth over sure. the years. And I, I can honestly say nearly in every instance when an ex-McDonald's employee goes for a job, they get the first job they ever go for. And a big part of it is the McDonald's grounding. Can, can you just tell me like two or three examples of that grounding? Because you said if they survive. I mean, what do you have to survive in your first two years? Yeah, because some people when they start a job, they think they're at school, particularly the young kids. They think they're at home. They don't understand that they have responsibilities and they, they don't uh, respect the boss being able to say to them, we want something done this way, we don't want it done that way. It might be as simple as come to work with polished shoes. It might be simple as having a shave before you come to work, turning up on time, being respectful. All the basics uh, that any business expects, some people don't fulfil those promises to the employer and they don't last. And, you know, not, not everyone's suited to every job. But let me tell you, I've worked with youth in Australia for a long, long time. I think we have the most unbelievable youth in the world. I get to travel with the McDonald's world. I put the McDonald's Australia employees uh, number one in the whole world. US, Canada, Germany, wherever you want. I've been there, um, been involved with it for a long time. I'm so proud of Aussie kids. Uh, You're going to have to be careful about what you're saying because people might be poaching now your people. You yeah, know? Well, it happens. <laughs> it, it, it's very true. If you, look, if you look around the world, not only McDonald's, but even outside of McDonald's, the amount of ex-McDonald's people that run big industries. You know, one of our major competitors, uh, Hungry Jacks, a guy called Chris Green's the CEO, ex-McDonald's guys. Uh, most of the QSRs have ex-McDonald's guys. If you look at... Uh, in the US, we've got a, an Aussie girl, Sky Anderson, who's now probably four, I see, of McDonald's worldwide. Another Aussie climbing the senior ladder. Uh, a lot of MDs in uh, different countries around the world, ex-McDonald's guys. Where, uh, Australians in the McDonald's world are, are the benchmark and um, the executives can move very freely across other countries because we're, we're proven result people. Okay. Can, can, can we just have an example? I come to work, I'm unshaven. So we have, a, we have a policy and procedures. Yep. It's very clear on the, on the on the your appearance, the way you're checked on it very regularly. And we have a counselling program. If you don't follow the rules on your appearance, the shift manager will say to you, Thomas, we've had this conversation before. You know the difference between right or wrong. Is there a reason why you've come unshaven today? We sort of have those conversations. Yep. Things happen from time to time. 
But if you start seeing a pattern, we'll address the pattern. How long before you just release me? Depends on on the individual and depends on the severity of, of what the problem is. So you don't send me home that day to get my very, v- very rarely. Okay. Obviously, there's laws around still paying you and, and uh, cancellation of shifts, etc. But it's more of a of a a discussion between yourself and the manager to to make sure that the standards are maintained. And the shoe shining, same thing. Or, or yeah. do they do, do they get to shoe shine before the they expectations? You come to work with clean shoes. What if they're not clean? Many stores will carry shoe polish. Okay. And ask that the crew polish right, so them. So you have solution. But the expectations. Yeah, there's a, and the same as like another example might be you might forget your name badge or forget your uniform. We have spares of them, but the expectation is we're paying you to launder them. That you come to work with your uniform, it should be clean, it should be pressed, and ready to go. Do, uh, you, f- do you find that these days it's saying the same thing because you know there's. No. Uh, uh, the rules and the laws these days, they seem to protect the losers. There's no question laws have gone towards employees, right. over employers. Employees have a significantly more flexibility, <laughs> in, with, if that's yeah. the right word, with yeah. what they can and can't do at work. I don't think it's a bigger problem today than what it was 40 years ago, but it comes down to the individuals, and it's back to my earlier point. Uh, like any business, if you employ 10 people, there's always one or two that aren't going to make it through, and that's just the reality of life. I know that it works. Do you know, for many years, wherever I drive anywhere, if I had to stop for a uh, bathroom break, it's always at a McDonald's. Because yeah. it seems to be that it's always clean. I don't know. that You must have a self-cleaning kind of toilet like the Toto that I see when I go to Singapore <laughs> or overseas. You know, it's, it's almost like every 20 minutes, someone's going in to check and making sure that it's part of that culture, you know? Yeah, the ma- managers are taught uh, a term we use is called a travel path where... Every 20 to 30 minutes, you, you must wear a customer's shoes and walk into the car park, walk into the dining room, look, check out the restrooms. And, and, and there's employees who, who do that, but the manager's responsible for making sure the employees oh, like are, do, are, are doing, the, doing their job. Right, right. Um, and, and that's a common term anywhere in the McDonald's world. Um, we all know when people travel, McDonald's is a bit of a safe haven. If you think that the, the local food is not going to work with your your body, uh, McDonald's is always a safe safe place to go to when people are travelling. Yeah, I know. Because I know our standards are, are very high, particularly in food safety. We, we are very strict on food safety, the way our food's handled, uh, the way our food's cooked, the monitoring systems. It's I could bore you for a week on how stringent and strict McDonald's are to protect the brand. You, I can promise you, you can go anywhere in the world, and even China. China's probably the most questionable food quality country in the world. It's very strict. Uh, China, for example, uses Aussie beef. We export millions and millions of dollars of beef and French fries to, and lettuce, milk to China, just to be assured that we're getting the best quality food to our customers. But sometimes material go defective, hence that uh, too hot coffee that fell on the, someone's lap. Yeah, that, that, that still stays around today. <laughs> it's, uh, and and if, you, if you don't follow that one, the lady actually got no money at, at, at the end of the day on that one. Um, but the reality is there's warnings on the cup and everyone knows if you drink a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, it's going to be hot. Yeah. And if you, if you choose to put something between your legs and drive off and you squeeze the cup and the lid comes off, you know, you, we all know the end result. Listen, so you have the manager going around doing the travel path. Do you then have someone to police it? Yeah. The, the owner-operator, uh, obviously, within the franchise is, is the end piece. Um, they have a level of employees, they have supervisors and different levels of managers that are, that are checking on that. Right. On top of that, McDonald's do checks as well. Yes. Uh, McDonald's can just randomly turn up and do an order on your restaurant 
and they do lots of audits on us. Um, and then obviously on top of that, we have the typical checks. So you'll have the, the local EHO, the Environmental Health Officer or Food Inspectors from councils. They, they turn up two or three times a year unannounced as well. We have a lot of people with clipboards walk into our business at various times and oh. to make sure that not just food safety but from a worker's safety as well, that the, the standards are being uh, met. And if they're not met, um, it becomes a conversation between the franchisee and the franchisor or, or McDonald's. Right, and McDonald's always win. They won't bend on their policies and procedures. Okay. It, it's the way you produce a Big Mac, the cleanliness of the stores, they're very, very strict with. Okay. So 1980s, at around the end of 1980s, you got to go to head office? I, I, no, I, yeah, no, I was still a manager in the 80s, finished uh, HSC, worked for Wayne Andrews at Castle Hill for 10 years. Uh, the late 80s, I then went to uh, head office. Yep, on uh, top of the job at Castle Hill? No, I'd finished at Castle Hill. Okay. Uh, I'd done my 10 years as a manager, then moved on to McDonald's head office yes. and held a number of roles over... 10 or 12 years there. I was in, uh, as I mentioned, training. I worked in field service, so I was the uh, relationship person between McDonald's and the, and the franchisor. In that sort of 90s period, we went through a huge growth program in Australia. We were growing at over 100 new restaurants a year. So we spent a lot of time recruiting new owner-operators and uh, finding sites, building stores, opening stores. Very, very busy time for our business. Uh, we grew very, very quickly as a brand. And so did the employee base at the office. Uh, it was just, it was a great time to be involved. And I was lucky enough, back being an employee, to have the most amazing leader, a guy called Pete Ritchie, who still ran today and is one of my mentors, um, who developed a, an amazing program for the employees where he allowed uh, McDonald's Corporation and Pete Ritchie allowed 10% of the, sorry, uh, 100 of the Australian employees to buy 10% of the McDonald's company in Australia. So for about five years, uh, we did very well financially out of a program that Pete Ritchie set up for the employees to be financially secure. But he was smart enough to realise whilst we were earning a lot of money from watching the, the value of the business grow, we were working hard on the business to make sure it did grow. Yep. So we were technically corporate employees, but when we had that ownership piece come up, it made you a, a local business owner. Uh, on a very successful brand. And I've, I've got to tell you, it was just an amazing journey over that period, watching the, watching the business grow so fast and having the employees be so well rewarded financially through the growth. Were they the employees of head office in Pennant Hills or were they the employees of any branch? No, they were the employees of the corporate employees at head I, office. I see, yeah. I see, I see. That was a time when uh, maybe the recruitment drive was not as stringent as today? Yeah, it would have been. It, it, the issue back then was we were just uh, drawing on so many people to come and work so at the growth. stores because yeah. through the growth. Yeah. And you open 100 stores a year and the average store's got 180 employees. You start doing the numbers and the numbers are massive. But it all worked and we, and we managed to get all the stores open and we, we just had record upon record sales and, and profits. It was a... A fantastic yeah. time. And, and it's always smart to do that with employees because they already work in there where, whereas if they were strangers, they had to go through, what is it, a long period of, of learning and um, studying, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they do. It, it's um, a time and position. It's like any any corporate job or any job. You, you can't become managing director overnight. I think a lot of young people think they can, yep. but you've got you've to do the time. And I still remember back in those days, I was selling real estate to a couple who was selling their house in West Bend and Hills. They were going to go back to, I think, Poland, where McDonald's was, uh, yep. was going to launch. 
And they had to work something like six months for free for McDonald's without a guarantee they were going to get. Yeah. The, uh, so it's actually nine months. And we call that the registered applicant training program. Right. Um, I've been involved with lots of RAs over many years. It, and that conversation itself is interesting. When McDonald's first came in the 70s, they couldn't get franchisees. They were advertising in the Sydney Morning Herald and giving the franchises away for free because it takes nine months to take someone from zero to becoming be able to run a McDonald's restaurant. And it, it's quite an extensive program. And you're right, uh, that's not a paid period. And there is risk because if you fail along the way, you're asked to leave and there's, there's no reward. And you obviously need a lot of money to get into it these days. Uh, but it's just amazing to watch it go from a brand that no one knew what McDonald's was, they were giving franchises away, to today where franchises are worth tens of millions of dollars. So, so it's interesting. So they gave franchise away, but they were still so strict on their culture and their rules. Yeah, yeah. You, they just didn't take anyone. They, wow. McDonald's has a set of parameters, like any business would, as you would have with your real estate franchises, you, you know what makes a good franchisee and what doesn't make a good franchisee. But sometimes I find that you have that constraint of relaxing a little bit, you know, because you have to wait between expansion and being so strict on cultures so much so that no one can join, you know? Yeah, I suppose you have a little luxury when you're a very, very strong brand and yeah. people know who you are, you can be a little bit choosier. In McDonald's in Australia, we're regarded as the number one employer in the, in the fast food industry. So people would start with McDonald's. So you tend to find the McDonald's employees, are, uh, because we're selective on who we take, they're always quality. If you've had a job at McDonald's, you're, you're not a standard person. You have very strong values. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a totally sad issue here now, but do you think that that came from the two McDonald's brothers or was it from Ray Kroc? It's, it's interesting. I think it's from both. I, I think most of it's from Ray Kroc and a guy called Fred Turner I mentioned before. Yep. Uh, Ray Kroc was the uh, had the franchising idea and had the vision to to expand this to to where we are today. Uh, Fred Turner, who was Ray's first grillman, had the ability to get in and write the operational procedures and set the standards. Mm. So Fred was tough. So he, uh, yeah, Fred was tough, but he was an unbelievable human being, very well respected in our business, and could walk the talk. Yeah. So now. You're at uh, head office. What's happened? When, when, when did you start? Did you start your first store at some stage? Did you? So I did my 13 years with McDonald's. Yes. The last project I ran for McDonald's was the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Oh, wow. Um, McDonald's back then were a major sponsor and we had the rights to feed the crowd and feed the athletes and, wow. feed, and feed the media. So it was a, uh, all those people remember the Sydney Olympics. It was a big event. We, we served millions of meals over about a two-month period. And then I finished with McDonald's and luckily for me, an opportunity came up to buy a restaurant at McGrath's Hill in Windsor in Sydney here, which I actually opened as a, in that 10 year period at Castle Hill, I opened up a couple of restaurants with Wayne Andrews. And I opened that store up, uh, I think I'm in 86. And McDonald's gave me the opportunity to buy that restaurant. So my wife, Tracy and I sold everything we had. We sold a house, uh, we put everything we could because McDonald's expect an equity uh, you have to put equity into the business as well as borrowing because uh, McDonald's likes the operators to have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we basically, everything we'd earned for our whole lives, had a, had a couple of young kids back then, we, we invested into a McDonald's store. For me, it was an easy thing to do. It's like getting back on the bike. I, I'd worked and grown up through McDonald's as crew and manager. McDonald's spent 13 years giving me the best education from a business and finance right. point of view. And I was like, I was a perfect model to go and then run a McDonald's restaurant. And um, 
So in April 2001, Tracy and I brought the um, the Windsor restaurant and worked extremely hard. The Windsor, we, that's a huge one. McGrath, so yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great restaurant. Um, every every Porsche drive, that's where they stop. Yeah, a lot of the bo- motorbikes and motorbikes push bike guys. Motorbikes as well, yeah. yeah a lot because of it's a huge park. Yeah, 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 it's a council-owned. We, we leased that property from Hawkesbury Council, but it's um, we, we no longer own that restaurant. But it was a, a great journey for me because it allowed me to start growing my franchises and moving from one restaurant to a second restaurant isn't a, isn't as easy as going to the mcdonald's and say i want to buy that other restaurant you need to prove yourself mcdonald's do a lot of checks as i mentioned earlier yeah and uh, they the bar is very high on on all the attributes of the business and assuming you meet and exceed those bars you then become eligible to buy other restaurants as they come up so i ran the restaurant very well it was very profitable for us i had a fantastic group of employees and an opportunity came up to buy the Richmond restaurant at the end of the train line there. Yes. Um, and we brought that from Wayne Andrews in 2003. Back then it was the uh, the largest purchase of a McDonald's franchise ever. And people came to me and said, Mark, what, what are you doing? How can you pay so much money for a McDonald's restaurant? And I just had the confidence and backed myself, you know. But who dictates what you pay? It's like any business. It's a okay. it's a multiple of the of the of the. So EBIT. McDonald didn't have a set price. They they, they have a guideline yes. that, that you work towards, and then it's uh, you're buying from franchise E to franchisee, um, so you work out a price. McDonald's they do need to approve the price, but back in two thousand and three, it was millions of dollars, which people were going, who's going to pay millions of dollars for a twenty year license to run a McDonald's franchise. But I knew the business well enough. It was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life is, right. is to buy that second restaurant. And then um, we ran that for a couple of years and then another... You're, go- you're, going, you're going too fast. Okay. Because here is something else that uh, I, I want to share with people too is Tracy, your wife, you met in the 80s, obviously. Didn't Tracy also work in McDonald's? Yes, she did, yeah. Yes, and, so uh, she did. We have, we have a term for, for wives like that. <laughs> we call them fry girls. <laughs> Um, and it's like any any business when when you're a young fellow working in forget it's McDonald's any industry there's times that you you spend a lot of time in the yep. workplace and you make friends and acquaintance and end up having a wife uh, yep. from McDonald's but it's it's common uh, in McDonald's but it's common in any industry yep. it's the way it works so it's easy for me to understand the logic behind all right let's sell our house let's sell all our security and let's put it all because the two of you started from it. But hold on, you have two young children. So there has to be a question, hold on, you're going to be working long hours. That's the, I mean, whatever you've been doing before at head office is going to be way more now. Did you sit down and think, hold on, I've got two young kids now. Should I do the, the, the jump? I mean, can I, I, I? There's always risk. I had a very secure job. I was on a great wage. I was traveling the world. I had a great company car. You know, I didn't, Set my own hours, but I virtually did when yes. I worked, etc. So it was a big, big discussion for Tracy and I to say, "Are we going to make the leap?" But knowing the business and backing myself as much as I could, we made the decision. I, I couldn't have done it without Tracy's help. You know, yeah. you're right. The hours are huge, and the time in the restaurant, and it's more than just making hamburgers. It's a business. Somebody needs to do payroll. Someone's got to do creditors. Someone's got to do bank rec. And, you know, lucky enough, Tracy could do all that stuff. So she ran the admin side right, of the I business see. I see. while I ran the operation operation side and, mm-hmm. and got the business humming. And, you know, for the first oh, probably four to five years, that, that's what Tracy did. She just ran the kids, uh, ran the home and ran the business yep. while I was actually in the restaurants. I, cu- I couldn't have done it without her. So how do you get a McDonald's? 
you said while you run the business and it increased it. How do you increase it? I thought that um, you know sometimes it's the it's the simple things in a business that can make a point of difference. It's it's knowing your customers. It's ensuring we have a term in McDonald's called QSC and V, so quality, service, cleanliness, and value. So people come to your business and they expect the windows to be clean, the food to be fresh, employees to be polite. Uh, they expect not to pay too much money. And if you if you put all the basics in place, yep. people will come back. And it's no matter what you do, it's applying the basics of the business to to get reoccurrence. So there was no such thing as more advertising is to do in the in the. There area were sponsorships. Uh, the way our, our advertising set up is we contribute to our pool, and that pool is spent is uh, split up between uh, national and state and local spending. I jumped into the community. I was sponsoring anything that moves, soccer teams, <laughs> uh, school awards. Yep. I've been involved cricket teams, all sorts of stuff. So I got my name out there, Mark and Tracy Halford, McDonald's, Windsor, McDonald's, Richmond, <laughs> for all those years. And my view is you, any business has to give back. Most businesses do, but I'm a big believer that you've, you've got to give back not only to your employees but to your customers as well. And I think when people see that you're a local f- person in a local market and you're just not taking from the market, that you're also giving back, you earn a few stripes, I think, with the community and then they come back and support you. Yes, I understand that. So let's go back now. So in two years now, 2000, what is it? You said Three, I brought one? Richmond. Yeah, one brought Windsor, three yeah, I brought. That's right. So two almost in three years. Yep. What is it? That's more work, isn't it? Yeah, it's more work and your business model changes. It means more layers of employees got to the point where we, we got an office then, uh, got some office employees. Uh, Tracy sort of pushed away some of the admin responsibilities because we had another baby then. That was his third one? Yeah, third one, yeah. Yep. So, you know, as kids grow up, as you would understand, they start getting demanding because then they have school and they have social events and they have sporting and we have church and all those sorts of things that occupy people's parents' time. Yes. You know, we were lucky enough where... Tracy eventually moved away from doing that stuff. We put an employee on to manage it for us. I still ran the restaurants. We we had what I grew up with. That was mum at home with the kids and you know, having dinner on the table and beds changed when they needed changing and you know managing the kids' friends and social events, etc. Okay, was the journey easy now in those three years? No, it was a tough. It was a tough journey. As I said, we had to borrow a lot of money to buy the first store. We had to borrow a huge amount of money to the second restaurant and it's uh, it's a responsibility when those bills come through from the bank and the numbers are got a lot of zeros on them you've got to make sure the money's in the bank there so you've got a you've got a responsibility to the bank and you've got a responsibility to your family and a responsibility to your employees that you're going to make sure you can run the business well enough to have the money there to pay the loans back because it's uh, it's all any business owner will tell you that those that debt is always on the back of your mind is most people experience a mortgage and they're, they're worried about that. But when you've got a huge business debt, it's uh, important that you're able to feed that loan. Yes, because not only there's a loan, uh, is, isn't there too an obligation to upkeep the premises? Like you have to change every uh, yeah, seven, seven years. years. Yes. Yeah, so part of the lease and licence for McDonald's, we get a 20-year licence when you sign up. Yep. Every year they do a complete review on you. If you don't fulfil the expectations, there's a possibility that you could <laughs> lose a licence. It doesn't happen very often, luckily. Right. Right. Um, but the possibility is there, and that's all about protecting the brand I spoke about earlier. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. So what's uh, from there, 2003? Uh, so between uh, 2003 and 2007, Trace and I just had the two restaurants. 2007, um, an opportunity came up to buy two other restaurants plus open another one. So we grew from two to five stores in 2007. We opened up Rouse Hill next to the Audi on Windsor Road. 
we then bought Kellyville next to the Edamoga pub. Yes. And we opened up in late 2007 our fifth restaurant, which is Rouse Hill Town Centre, the shopping centre, which opened in 2007. So we, we went from uh, you know, an employee base of 500 to an employee base of like 1,600 uh, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So obviously all the, layers of, uh, all the layers of people behind that then increase. And McDonald's had, had no problem that um, one single person could have control of five? I mean, what, yeah. what, what, no. what if something happened to you? Yeah, well, McDonald's are always there. Wow. In worst case scenario, the McDonald's are there, other licensees are there. Uh, that that's one of the many great things about our yes, brand. I can see it, no? The McFamily uh, gathers around you and and provides you with that, that support that you need. Mm. You have the Fry Girls, you have uh, the yeah. McFamily, you have everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, all, all McTerms. <laughs> lots lots of businesses have that. Right, I see. So, what about now, money? At this point in time, here by two thousand seven and and around that now, success has to be big. Um, no, not really. Is there a shift in money in the mindset. So what I knew that it was coming. So between two thousand and three and two thousand and seven, our mission was obviously to pay down the loans, but secondly to save as much money, knowing that some acquisitions were going are ahead. Because uh, as I said, McDonald's have a a policy that you need to introduce about twenty five percent equity into the business. Um, so I knew stores were coming, so I had to save, 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 still pay the loans off, still run the family. So we weren't l- uh, running lavish lives by any means because okay. we were banking everything we could uh, to buy the next restaurants. Because it Five was, wasn't enough? I've grown up with the, with the business, so I know how to do it. I've done it my whole life. Yes. Um, it, it's a, a great brand and it's, it's, if you understand it, they're not that hard. There's always pressure and the responsibility, but I knew how to do it. I've done it my whole life. Yes. No, but I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah. five, that's not enough? No. Um, so we, we, we got to eight at one stage. Yes. But we, and different people have different drivings. I've got a mate who's got 15 stores in Sydney. There's all different numbers of stores. We had eight, an opportunity came up to sell uh, three of them. We did. We took that opportunity. Uh, we came back to five restaurants. Uh, we're still growing. There's another four or five stores coming up. I'll sit between, uh, you know, I'm 57 now, I'll sit between five and ten stores for the next 10 or 15 years. Right. Uh, Bearing in mind every time you open a new store up, you sign a 20-year deal. Yes. But the uh, the 20-year deal, um, I'm going to ask something now because you have three children. Can it be passed down? Uh, So that's called second generation, and it's not as simple that um, you can just take the franchise and pass it down. McDonald's needs to approve your son or daughter to get a licence and that's a very onerous program. You mentioned it before, nine months, not unpaid training. Luckily for my kids, uh, my kids grew up working in McDonald's. Uh, you know, all three of them started when they were very young, like I'm talking eight or nine years of age. They were going on the weekends and serving drive through standing on a milk crate so they could tall enough to reach out the window to pass the food out. Oh, wow. Being a family business, you can do that. You can't do that with employees. And they've all worked, they've all become managers, they've got the qualifications. At the moment, none of them are in the business, they're all out doing different things, mm-hmm. but they, they may come back to the business one day, yeah, who I understand. knows. I understand. So what about the marketing now of McDonald's? What do you guys do? Because McDonald's, back in those days, obviously there was about, if we can keep everything clean and nice, that would be the main attraction. Yeah. But these days it's social media, it's all digital yeah. marketing. Yeah. So where are you guys up to now? Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. So uh, as part of the lease and licence, we have to contribute a percentage of our sales to an advertising fund, uh, a cooperative that is uh, run between the franchisees and McDonald's. 
Now, they own some of their own restaurants. They own about 100 of the 1,000 stores in Australia, about 10%. Right. Uh, so 900 of stores are owned by franchisees. So we have elected committees that represent the licensees on that marketing spend. As you can understand, you know, we're in the top 10 spenders in, in advertising in Australia, so you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars per annum spent on that advertising. So we need to agree, uh, the franchisees need to agree with the corporation on how that money's spent, not only where the money's spent, but what are the campaigns that we're going to spend it on. And the, and the calendars are huge and that they're worked on two years in advance. People don't realise the enormity of how much food. In Australia, we serve 2 million people a day in McDonald's Australia. And if you saw the, the infrastructure or the supply chain behind that to pro- provide that food, it's just enormous. We, we can't, for example, just decide to put bacon on a burger tomorrow because we have to go back to the farmers and say, OK, we're going to need X million slices of bacon on this day. There's lead times, and that's not weeks, that's months and sometimes years to, to get the quantities of food that we need. I mean, I can see now all that digital ordering now that you have in McDonald's, all those panels. Is there going to be also a day when, as you drive, it activate the McDonald's order, and by the time you get there, it's... Uh yep. yeah, that, that's life today. Right. Um, and... The convenience piece, this is all about speed and convenience. Um, the kiosks where you do your ordering in the dining room now, you can still walk up to the counter and place your order yeah. to a human being, which some people enjoy. There's choices there if that's what you like. But no one's got time. But it, the technology's coming. I could bore you for a while, but the technologies are very interesting in the way that customers and consumers will be ordering. Yeah. There'll be import, a point in time where... Your orders will just happen. The payment will just happen. You'll just go through the drive-through, and as you drive around, the food, your food will be waiting at the window, and you'll drive out. Yes, yes, I can see that happening. We're we're just about there today. There'll be there'll be points in time where there may not be humans that you're talking to. You know, we use Siri in our phone today. S- Siri is coming, yep. but not just McDonald's. It's coming in all walks of life. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you something about gossip here now. What, what about all of these people who talk about uh, it's not real beef? Yeah. It's not this, it's not yeah. that. We, we're now living in, the, in an age when the quality of food is becoming even more and more important yeah. in Australia. Yeah. So what's all those gossips? Yeah, so like the permissibility and the sustainability piece is, is really high on our agenda. Uh, to answer your question, there's only two things we put in our beef. One's called salt and one's called pepper. It's 100% beef and nothing but beef. And, and that, that has never changed. Okay. And the good thing for us, it's 100% Australian beef. And as I mentioned earlier... We export about $1.2 billion worth of Australian produce on top of the $1.2 billion that we buy. Uh, we're, we're one of the largest beef buyers in Australia, or one of the largest, uh, other than Woolworths and Coles, of buyer of, of food. Yes. Enough with the McDonald's. Now, I just want to ask, uh, to finish off, just maybe two questions. There's two things that I really like about you from knowing David McSiveny. You guys have got an amazing mateship. There's a group of a few mates who will do whatever it takes for each other and also whatever it takes to look after each other's family. Mm. Where's that from? I mean, was David in McDonald's? Because I, I did a podcast of him. He never did anything in McDonald's. No, David and I have, are very close and best mates yep. uh, with a, with another four or five guys. Yep. And what's interesting, we're, we're all from the same mould. None of us have university degrees. We're all self-made. Uh, we have similar values. Um, if you look at Dave, for argument's sake, Channy, as we call him, you know, his mum and dad are your typical Aussie mum and dad. He, he didn't go to a flash school. Uh, he's worked all his life and everything 
because Dave's very successful, as you know, and everything Dave's got, he earned. And he, it was never given to Dave. Dave was a worker. Dave was very street smart. Uh, and Dave took some risk. And you add all those things together and you end up with success. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm, I think I fit into that mould. Dave fits into that mould. George McCallum is a good mate of ours, definitely in that mould. Robert Brooks, another guy in that mould. Even another bloke, Ray Hadley, is a good close mate of ours. And, and if you look at his background, it's no different. He housing commission, very simple life, taxi driver, worked for everything he got, took some risk along the life along along the way, and look how successful he is. Yeah, that's Ray Hadley, the presenter, the radio yeah, presenter. Yeah, right? yep, yep. And so the other thing is now, what about you now? What what's your outlook on life? If you were to sit down and at some stage, I'm sure there's going to be grandchildren and children. If you had to say, all right, this is how I see life and this is how I would like you maybe to share my idea of life, what would that be? Um, so, look, I think there's got a couple of different ways of answering that. Uh, let me answer it with my family hat on at the moment. I, I would like to think what Tracy and you I've done is created a legacy for my, my family. Whether my children do or don't get into the business, I'd love one or all of them at some point to get in there and realise what a, a great business it is. I think they know that, but they're out learning some new skills at yep. the moment. I'd like to think that this brand stays in my family forever because right. I think the brand is we've been around for such a long time now, I, I still can't see us going anywhere for a long, long time. People need to eat. Our competitors struggle to keep up with us, just our values, our pricing, um, our footprints around the, around the world. We're here for a long time. So that would be my answer on, on that front. One of the things I really enjoy about my business is watching my employees develop and grow and become successful. I've got many employees that have been with me for a long time. My main man, Alex Douglas, is one of the most amazing people I've ever seen or had the opportunity to work with. They, they inspire me. And whether they stay with Tracy and I or whether they go out and do other things, I've seen so many successful people who have worked for us who started in McDonald's and then gone on to something bigger and greater. I, I really get a hit out of that, watching people come successful after they finish with us. Okay. That's the one thing I've, I've noticed, you know, in the uh, last hour that we've been talking, you seem to be able to just focus on the positive things about every people, you know? And the number of times that I heard you saying, oh, he's a wonderful person or he's, he's just a beautiful person or he's, the, he's my mentor. You seem to have that um, ability just to find good in everyone around you. Is that something that is in you? Is that something that McDonald's has told you? Is therefore, is that something that everyone in McDonald's think like? I think it's a, a trait. If I look at my McDonald's mates who own other franchises and I'm co close to some of the corporate guys, we're all very similar. It's easy to take the low road. One of the things I've always been taught is always take the high road and everything, and there's positive in everything. Um, and when an opportunity comes your way, you've just got to figure out how to remove the roadblocks and keep moving on. Uh, I, I always say to my employees, I set the standards for my employees. If they see me grumpy, they see me talking negative, that becomes their their standard. So I, I always try and take the positive approach. Nothing goes your way the whole time in your life. Yep. Think, things come up that you don't like, particularly being a business owner, working with employees or customers, because they can be very demanding. You've just got to suck it up sometimes and move on. Oh, well, I thank you so much. I think that you have a culture that is probably commendable, whether it is yours or McDonald's. I think that you're very humble and put it all on McDonald's, but I think that there's a lot in your makeup. Not everyone's successful in McDonald's. That's why not everyone gets to hold on to McDonald's. So I think that there's a lot in, in you as a human being. But I, 
I think that the information that you just shared here can help a lot of people, not just in McDonald's, in, in life, in the way they approach their, their work. So thank you very much for your time today, Mark. Thanks, Thomas. It's nice to have this opportunity. Thank you.